Welcome to another episode of Ask Canadian 6. I am one of your co-hosts, Jasper Ball from Toronto, and we are joined as always by Harmon Kandola. Um, so I don't know what we're going to talk about today. It's been a quiet month for 6 in the Canadian news cycle. What would, would you say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing's been going on. Nothing of interest. No, seriously, it's been such a um, tumultuous month. It's been um, just just so much angst and nervousness and um, trying to under- trying to get information at a time when information wasn't readily available. So to folks who are tuning in, I'm assuming most people know what we're talking about. But as a b- brief background, um, we found out in March that there was a series of raids over, I, I heard the number 80,000 police and paramilitary were deployed in Punjab. They were looking for Amrapal Singh. They arrested uh, on the record uh, under 200 things, uh, unofficial uh, accounts say over a thousand uh, folks were arrested and there was a huge internet outage in Punjab and we saw all of this in the diaspora and we saw all of the the Canadian responses to it and that's what we bring to this conversation is a Canadian Sikh perspective. Um, Harman, where were you when you heard what was going on and what was your initial reaction? Well, I think it was, you know, we were looking at the Siddhu Musayala Parsi was just about to show up and I think I was kind of looking up some things about Siddhu when reports started to emerge of this massive crackdown and immediately was was kind of shocked and dismayed. And I think it took a couple of days to really register that, you know, we had entered a, a phase of um, antagonism and uh, against sex and sick activism that was unprecedented in the last so many years. But, you know, I, I it, it was just a whirlwind. And I think since the the police um, you know interventions and crackdowns and illegal uh, activities by by the state against the, the six it's been it's been such a blur um, because we've been fighting uh, you know for hearing from people whose family members have been picked up you, you know you've been hearing so many different reports uh, concerns about um, you know what is happening on the ground and it, it's been absolutely you know kind of inundating in terms of um the amount of um, information that we've been having to process the different scenarios that might exist so it's been a really busy um several weeks And, and information we had to process and i would say information we didn't have because there was a block on the internet and things coming out of india and the other thing is misinformation so processing you know at some point we see we haven't heard from Amar Bal Singh in weeks. We, uh, at some point, we see a picture of him uh, in a, in disguise on a motorcycle. Is it real? Isn't it real? Godi TV is saying he is everywhere. He's in Nepal. He's in Thailand. He's in uh, Pakistan. He's in England. Um, so it was this really interesting experience of of trying to understand of what limited information there was, what information was planted, what information was genuine. And then at the point that we finally do hear his voice and see his face, trying to understand if that's misleading or if it's actually him. And if it's actually him, uh, is what does that mean? Is that still misleading? Um, so I think maybe that's a good place to start. Amrapal Singh uh, shows up 
in a very prominent way. Um, and we are in a very fast rise to fame. I would say he styled himself very intentionally after Santa Barbara Janelle Singh Pindramvale. There's a very similar image. There's a very similar message. And what did you make of him when he first showed up? Because as a community that's been gaslit and has been steered in so many different directions, so many different times, I know that there was not a uniform response of trust. And this is a grassroots movement and this is someone who's speaking for the community. So what was your, when this guy was rising on the, in six spaces, what was your reaction? So I, I was never a clubhouse person. Um, I, you know, I know a lot of people were. And so, you know, Amritpal Singh was pretty prominent and uh, within clubhouse in during COVID. And, um, you know, I, I've definitely viewed Amritpal Singh with, with some, you know, questions and skepticism, given, you know, kind of the rise. And, and um, over time, I, the question was, you know, what was, what's his or, origin story? What was the philosophy that was guiding him? You know, what was his family background? You know, wh- what gave him his identity and this strong identity as a Sikh? Um, and, I, you know, I guess like sometimes the answers in the questions, you know, how did he get into the country? How did he get into India? What did they ask him when he went, you know, to the airport? But sometimes I, I think the simplest answer, it, it might be the best answer, which is he's, he's inspired by, by Guru. He's inspired by Sikhi. Um, and the work he was doing, I think, really dispelled a lot of the notions uh, and the questions around his background, because you could see it was it was clear from people of what his aim was, right? Which was, you know, to to get people to Shak Amrit. It was to, you know, follow the follow Guru and, and move away from things like drugs and um, and other things. We all know the the social problems that exist within Punjab. Um, every single family has a story of of, of someone they know or love um, who's been struggling with addictions within Punjab. And, and given the, the social atmosphere, there was a need for someone to kind of really rally um, the population, right, towards something positive. And, and I think that's what Amrit Singh was doing. So for me, initially, of course, skepticism. We, we look at every single new entrant um, into uh, our consciousness with, with some skepticism and, and wonder where they came from. But you could see the good work he was doing. I think this is this is some of the things that I there's a couple of things that I think were true and and have held true for most of the people I talk to. Um, one is that people who are for the Bant, people who are for Khalistan, their impact will always align. I know this sounds incredibly cynical. Um, will always align with what the GOI wants. And what I mean by that is someone who is truly serving the Bant will increase the media rhetoric of Sixes Terrorist. That is also the goal of state media. That is also the goal of Punjab police. That is also the goal of GOI. So I think part of where the gaslighting comes from is that a, a truly Bantic person or someone who's planted will both have the same outcome, which is that they will play into what the GOI, the government of India wants. The other thing that I think has felt a little bit universal is regardless of where people were in what they were thinking and what they were feeling, at the point that we didn't know where Amarpal Singh was, everyone banded together because you can have internal criticisms. Um, I, I watched this from afar and 
One of the things that was most striking to me was that women were not at the forefront of the movement. Uh, and I would I would go as far to say visibly they weren't in very many places at all. So I will always question the strength of a movement where women are relegated to certain spaces and are not allowed in public spaces. Um, you can, I, I think there's ableism behind saying that Bajor can't sit on a chair in the back of the hall. Like ableism, sexism, There, I definitely looked at this with a critical lens. When we are attacked and when, uh, I think we are allowed to be critical of each other. I think we are allowed to have these internal dialogues. I didn't hear any of that when push came to shove because regardless of who someone is or what they say or what the people around them are advocating for, you do not have the right to arrest them without a charge, uh, to detain them. You do not have the right to shut people into their own homes, to create uh, internet outage, to isolate people like that, to arrest people en masse. That definitely connected everyone. And there was this huge shift that I sensed where all of a sudden we were all on the same side of the conversation and we were all asking for the same thing. And I think there was like a genuine ardas from everyone for the Tjardiklav, the Pant, for Amrapal Singh and Tjardiklav for him and for all the things that were with him and, and for everyone's safety. Um, I think there, what was very, very humbling was I never lost a sense that the Pant was in Tjardikla. Um, Even though people were anxious, scared, nervous, like any number of things, it never actually felt like we were disconnected and it never felt like we were down for the count. And it just epitomizes that that it was it was very humbling to just just to sit in that same space with everyone and to, to see that rise. One of the things that uh, so World Tech Organization was um, immediate in our response, as were a lot of other folks in Canada. Um, and we worked with um, major Canadian news outlets. We did interviews. And I remember talking to CBC and the question there was, why is this something that CBC should cover? Why is this a Canadian issue? So Harmon, from where you're sitting, why is what's going on in Punjab a Canadian issue? Why should we be commenting on this at all? Well, interestingly enough, you know, the G20 um, events were happening in Amritsar when, um, you know, the day before uh, this mobilization by the state against six had begun. Uh, you know, a lot of people speculating that done by, by the central government and the state to embarrass Punjab and, and, you know, ensure that people didn't look at Punjab as a viable option for investment. Uh, but, you know, I think you look at what's been happening during India's time as uh, as, as you know, on the G20, where Canadian ministers have been spending lots of time traveling to uh, the country. Uh, recently, uh, Calgary MP George Chahal was was in India. Prior to that, um, you know, foreign uh, our foreign affairs minister uh, was there. You know, uh, Minister Jolie spending a lot of time, and there is conversation about the Prime Minister uh, making a trip to India this year. All of that, and all, the context is that India, Canada is looking for closer uh, trade relationships with India, has been making very public uh, conversation about this. We've covered this on previous podcasts where, um, you know, you talk about uh, the, the, the trade partnerships and the focus. And yet, you know, there's so many of these issues that have been highlighted in the past by organizations and by WSO in regards to the degradation of, of rights in India um, you know, the regime being authoritarian, 
you know, the interference of India within Canada, all of this, um, you know, and yet no real acknowledgement by Canadian officials or even any reprimand by Canadian government to say and bring up these concerns with the Indian government. So now when you see a clear example of everything we said they've been doing, it's very obvious. I mean, when you black out the internet in the entire state to go in and then arrest, and so you want to do this in the cover of darkness without any uh, attention. You start to target media, you start to target lawyers. This is completely egregious. And yet Canada still considering um, expanding relationships with this country. This is a country that we have a, a, a security intelligence sharing agreement. So a country that's willing to put out, block out the internet, which is willing to arrest uh, and intimidate journalists and, and human rights lawyers, is a country whose in, uh, intelligence information that we're willing to rely upon and act upon as a state. I mean, that's absolutely embarrassing for the Canadian government. Um, you know, again, forget the disinformation the actual foreign interference that takes place from India, uh, there's a, a real urgent need for the Canadian government to look and wake up to the realities of the Indian state and reevaluate its relationship. So it's been very important to raise this issue within the diaspora and within Canada so that government can finally understand the concerns that have been raised. And again, a lot of them may have thought that those were historic. Those were concerns that related to an, uh, a, pre, a prior era, but we can see that that, that that continues to exist and persist there today. So for me, you know, I, we see, you know, some people talk about, well, we have loved ones back home, so we're worried about them. Well, you know, and, and that concern is there, which makes it, you know, particularly interesting as a Canadian story. Uh, but more so, you know, I look at it from the government perspective of their relationships with India. And it was very telling to see the response from elected officials in Canada to this whole thing. But I'll let you kind of get into that. Yeah, for sure. So absolutely agree. I think on a deeply personal level, this is a Canadian story because Canadian, my family is in Punjab. Canadians are in Punjab. The things that are happening there are happening to Canadians. And then exactly what you said on a larger level, this is about trade. This is about human rights. We're looking into uh, probes into foreign interference. We're very concerned about Russia. We're concerned about China. And then where's that conversation with India? And why are we so hesitant in the face of the beneficial trade relations to be critical of those countries? So it's a Canadian issue. For some parties and for some individuals, we start to see an immediate response. Um, we see um, WSO puts out a statement. Jagmeet puts out a statement. I think Tim Opal, just Raj Helen came out the door with strong statements. And then we see a staggering response from the Liberal Party and one that talks about the internet outage and doesn't name. Uh, and so there was, there was a few um, Liberal MPs that did put out tweets um, that didn't name the larger human rights violations or the arrests or any of the other mahal, but specifically talked about, oh, my constituents can't get a hold of uh, their family in Punjab because there's no internet, we're deeply concerned. And then we also see this performance in the House where Ikwinder Gahir asks, I believe it was Minister Jolie, uh, what's going on with the internet in India? Everyone claps. And then she says, we're also concerned about the internet in India, we're going to keep our eye on it. 
and everyone claps. And then that clip of them asking each other about the internet is put into tweets and sent out on social media. <laughs> what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, I, I think I think you know what I make of it because I mean, my tone is not my tone is not forgiving. But what do you make of it? It, it was it was nice to to see that you know despite we you know and obviously we all have to understand that there's intense pressures that exist from um, the, the Indian state from actors you know on their behest here With, within the last you know in, and we covered this last time uh, in the podcast which was the report of the activities of the RSS um, and its tentacles in in Canada and that also extends into the political sphere. Um, there was a great report put out uh, by by uh, other organizations on Indian foreign interference in Canada, and so remember that like you know politicians do face uh, pushback within their own parties from these elements, right? There is vocal uh, pro-Indian lobbies that are pushing back, and so to see in the face of that, um, you know the, at least the opposition MPs come together and, and really denounce this in, in a in a in strong language. Um, was really heartwarming, but yes, I, I think you know when you saw that that certain outlets were were making it clear that there are liberal MPs who are silent, uh, and I th- I think that spurred them to some action. They felt like they needed to do something. But again, uh, all in the uh, background, they're still willing to toe government line. Not one of them is willing to break from liberals ongoing you know, kind of effort to create stronger ties with India. So everything they've, they're saying is said in such a uh, almost, I would say it's, it's fairly disingenuous because they don't really care to pressure India um, or to even make any statement. Doing the bare minimum required to pacify and placate six in Canada. And that's what I see. Yeah, and I, I don't see the same level of um when it's about another ethnicity or their connection to another country i see an outpouring of love for ukraine i see expedited visas for ukrainian refugees i see an unapologetic stance of being critical towards russia and and i do see pps and specific sorry mps and specifically liberal mps who will hark back to their ethnicity and speak for their country of origin when it's a country that aligns with the larger party's interests. So when it's within the Canadian narrative to be pushing back against Russia and to be saving the Ukrainian people, that's that's something that's a welcome narrative. Um, we will always, you know, hark back to France. We will always show our love to England. Like there's these deeply embedded colonial perspectives, which we somehow never see as uh, ethnic allegiances when, when we're, you know... A, the prime minister is attending the queen's funeral. We don't see that as a disproportionate connection to uh, the descendants of those who are from England or or Canada's connection to England. But I feel like our MPs will not do that. Sikh MPs will not unilaterally connect their religion, their ethnicity, or their race to their heritage and use their political stance to do so. Some of them will. Some of them will do it unapologetically. And some of them are kind of walking on eggshells. Um, so I just I just think to anyone who's listening, this what the internet was one aspect of a larger attack on six. And it definitely wasn't the full thing. 
And the conversation and the Canadian response deserves to be as robust as the attack itself. And so so we did see that. We did see some advocacy for that. Uh, we did see an ask for uh, probe into foreign interference, amongst other things. And I think that brings me to the next part of the Canadian response to what's happening in India, is that while six in Canada in positions of power might be hesitant to make strong comments about what's going on, Indians in Canada, Hindu fascists in Canada, the consulate, um, people, the HSS, like people are not, those folks are not hesitant to make strong statements. And they're going on the record saying, we feel unsafe. And this is where, what I was talking about originally, um, truly heartfelt Bantik movements align with the ways in which the government of India would like to malign us. So the end goal is they want to say six are dangerous. We don't feel safe. Tagging Mandars. They're coming to the consulate with their flags on their cars. We need more protection. We need to feel safe. RCMP needs to protect us. All of those things are coming out in big ways. And if you do follow WSO on social media, um, we did put out a post where we showed all of the ways in which um, sick Canadian politicians were being attacked. So it's not actually, while we're always going to be critical of politicians, it's, it's not always fair um, to them when they do put their, when they put their necks out to see what the response is for them. So um, they're like, for example, when uh, Tim Uppel and Jasraj Helen were tweeting, they were then told like, there were people from India, there's like an editor of a newspaper, uh, the editor-in-chief at Op India, who said, F off, or said, uh, come here and we'll genocide you. And basically, like all, and, and also all of these people's accounts are being suspended in India. So if you're Jagmeet, if you're BBC Punjab, if you're Rupikor, the poet, um, your accounts are no longer accessible in India. So there's a lot of backlash for those folks. There are overt threats against Canadian Sikhs who are speaking out. And then there's this gaslighting where folks representing the interests of India and Canada are saying, actually, we're not safe. And they're using the chaos of the moment to further malign Sikhs, to make it very clear that we are the ones who are, to make it, make it clear that we're perceived as the ones who are dangerous in this space. Um, yeah, and there's no, there's no hesitation there. So um, yeah, just any thoughts on that, on on what this does and how this makes this, how this atmosphere is ripe for foreign interference? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, looking at um, the, the, the next steps, I mean, we're talking about the Prime Minister is still evaluating a potential trip to India. And if that trip happens without you know, strong denunciations of what has happened. I mean, that's going to be a, a massive betrayal of Canadian sixth. Yep. I, I'm exhausted at the thought of the prime minister going to India again, because um, I don't have the time in my day to, to keep up with what's going to go wrong. Um, I honestly hope he's open to a conversation with the sick community before he goes. I hope he has a better stylist. Uh, I hope there's, there's some better outfits this time around. Uh, but we'll we'll cross that bridge we get when we get to it. But uh, that's that's our those are our comments for today, folks. Make sure you stay tuned. 
This is going to follow up with an interview because we've changed the podcast format. So we now do have an interview every week. Uh, please make sure you donate. If you, any of the things you saw, any of the WSO responses you saw during this last month were of value, you can always go to our website and and check out ways to donate one time or to join this fund. Um, and follow us everywhere on social media. We're at WorldSick. Uh, and you can, yeah, find us, follow us, and stay in touch. Until next time, my name is Mahaklin Kaur, and today I am joined by Gurkirat Singh, also known as Kortha Guru on Instagram, who had spent just about four months in Punjab, and during this time he had the opportunity to speak with and get to firsthand see the works of Bai Amrit Bal Singh. Thank you so much, Gurkirat Singh, for joining me today on the Ask Canadian Six podcast. I am very excited to have this conversation with you today. Uh, thank you for having me on. Of course, I'm very excited. So let's just dive right into it. I'm very, very excited to hear um, where this conversation is going to go. So the first place I would like to start this conversation with, which I'm very curious about, is what had inspired you to go to Punjab and be a part of the Khalsa Vahir? Yeah, so um, originally I decided to go to Punjab with my family after five years. Since there was COVID, there was a lot of restrictions to go to Punjab. And once they got lifted, we decided to go visit Punjab and go do some yatra, uh, visit some family out there. And then in the meantime, uh, I the rising of Payamrit Paz Singh was happening. And I had been connected to Payamrit Paz Singh for about a year prior to this, a year and a half. Seeing okay. his work on Twitter, seeing his work on social media. He used to host clubhouse meetings. And I was pretty impressed about what he was uh, able to share and his knowledge that he had, especially not being in the Sikhi Sroop. Mm-hmm, so when yeah. he went to Punjab, when he went to Punjab and he decided that the first thing he's going to do is take Amrit and he invited everyone else who were youngsters in Punjab. He went village to village inspiring people to join him and take Amrit as Sri Anandpur Sahib. That was really uh, that was really interesting for me to see, and I I really liked how what the message he was spreading of Sikhi. So just to take the opportunity to meet him, I decided to uh, go to his village, uh, which is Jaluparkira, and we were able to sit down and have a conversation there. And oh. once I got to Jaluparkira, I uh, started seeing the work that he was doing on the ground there, where even in his own home, at right in the beginning, uh, before uh, he when there was only about twenty or thirty odd uh, people there uh, he was taking in people who are addicted to drugs and people who are addicted to all sorts of different types of nashe in Punjab and taking them into his own home and helping them get off this addiction that really inspired me yeah. and, uh, that, and that made me feel like hey this man's doing something that I don't see anyone else doing in Punjab and then eventually while well, I started going there and uh, me and him started uh getting familiar with each other he asked me to i asked him i wanted to do an interview with him in english mm-hmm. and he was pretty busy so he asked me hey we'll do it in the morning why don't you just sleep over here so he invited oh. me to sleep over at his house wow. and um, i spent the night there and i got to know the other things a little bit mm-hmm. and he was very kind met his family and we spent the night there and then um, next morning i sat down with him and we had about a two hour long interview uh, we discussed various issues that were happening in Punjab 
And that's when he told me that they're going to start a, a cost of heat, which is going to go from village to village from city Ananda, from city case, uh, from city Akal Takseb, which is going to go village to village from city Akal Takseb to um, city Anandpur Sahib in, uh, in time of 30, 30 days and try to do Gurmat Prachar village to village like it was done in the past. Because he felt like if you really want to reach the Sangit and reach the Nojwani, the youth of Punjab, you had to go where they were and you can't expect them to come yes. to you. So that's what he was trying to do. That is um, amazing work. And and the Khalsa of Vahir. So could you tell us, um, first, what exactly is a Vahir? What exactly is a Khalsa of Vahir? What, is, what does that look like? And, and what is it beyond what we see on social media? Like someone like myself is seeing it through Instagram or Twitter. Um, but what is it like to be actually there? What, is, what does a day look like? What does a week look like there? And how does it feel? Well, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of energy in the Sangit. There's a lot of excitement. Um, Khalsa Vihir itself just means a procession that takes is taken by the Khalsa. And traditionally, a lot of Jathe uh, Bandinya or a lot of uh, institutions used to travel like this, go village to village and doing Gurmat Prachar. And Nahang Singhs still do this to this day, where they travel village to village and do Prachar in, this, in, in each town and city. So... Um, Throughout the day, uh, we would start early in the morning around uh, 10 o'clock. The procession, procession would begin and uh, we would uh, go, we would have one, we would be going from one pint to another pint, from one village to another village. And during that time, there'd be multiple villages on the way and uh, Sangat would be greeting each time the procession went through a village. The Sangat would be standing at the main uh, gate of the village or main hub of the village and welcoming the Vahir with open arms, uh, flowers were uh, mm. thrown on top of Guru Maharaj to welcome Guru Granth Sahib Maharaj. Wow. In the begin, in the front of the procession, it was it was um in the front of the procession. A procession, there was one vehicle which was uh, I was speaking and had a loudspeaker saying, "Please remove your shoes and cover your heads." Dan oh. Guru Granth Sahib Maharaj is coming. Then behind that, there was a there's a tractor which had a water tank behind it and a sprinkling water to clean the floor for Guru Granth Sahib Maharaj. After that, there was a bus that had a panj piyare on it. And then after that, there's Guru Granth Sahib Maharaj's palki. And then behind that was the rest of the Sangit with Pai Amrit Singh. And there was about almost, uh, on average, about 100 to 150 vehicles, including motorcycles that were going uh, village to village and uh, taking part in this, uh, in this procession. And in the evening, when we would get to our destination, um, there would be a Dawan where, where they would have Guru Granth Sahib Ji Maharaj, Prakash, Kirtan would happen, Rara Sahib would happen. Um, if there's anyone who came out of town who was a speaker or some Santa Mahapurk, they would speak and uh, uh, acknowledge the Sangit. And then Amrit Singh would speak and share uh, his, his thoughts and vichars with the Sangit. Um, besides that, um, this, this Vahir was, it was to revive old traditions back in Punjab again. So Paisa was making, Amrit Singh was making sure that there's no phones inside of the Pandal where Guru Granth Sahib Ji was. Mm-hmm. And no one was allowed to bring their phones inside. Um, people, uh, the speakers weren't, were very low sounding, so they weren't blasting really loud. Um, there's only one light and that was above Guru Granth Sahib Ji Maharaj. It was to create an atmosphere that was centered on Guru Granth Sahib Ji Maharaj. Guru Granth Sahib Ji Maharaj, that was Prakash, was Ladiwar Sarup and was handwritten. So mm. it, was, it was to revive old traditions. That was the one of the main reasons. 
And then what would happen is after a sukhasan, it would happen around 10 p.m. Um, Amrit Pal Singh would meet with all the Sangat, even if it was 300, 400, 1,000, 3,000, 4,000. He would stay all night standing there wow. meeting each individual. And they would come to him with uh, their problems and suggestions. And if they wanted to take photos, he was taking photos with them. But some people who had land issues or people who were having divorce, family problems, divorces in their family, they would bring those to Amrit Pal Singh. And then he actually had a team set up uh, that would he would... Uh, uh, put those, uh, make those people talk to his team, and then they would conduct uh, any help that they can. They would try to help them in the, that way, and then there would be Amr Sanchad the next morning. Every every everywhere we went, um, there was an Amr Sanchad, and in 37 days, the Vihir went down for 37 days, and there was around 4,000 people who took Amr during this procession, and a lot of people who uh, who uh, welcomed the Vihir through their villages. Um, they uh, also joined the Vihir for the rest of the period. So it was like you wow. village to village, and the procession was just getting larger and larger and larger and larger. That's incredible. So it, was, it was growing, yes. That is incredible. Well, that just from the sounds of it, the energy seems absolutely incredible. So I could only imagine the impact it would have on you while you're there and also what you would bring home with you. Um, and you speak about like Fayamrit Bal Singhji and and what they did. So could you just tell us a little bit more about how they had inspired you? And maybe like, a, I'm sure you've learned so much in the time that you were there, but what is a lesson that's kind of stuck with you that you could share with me? I mean, he's he's my age. We're both born in 1993. So it was like, to me, it was like this... I, I was 30 years old and he really felt like the responsibility of the comb of the Panth was on our generation now. It's our responsibility to step up. We can't look at people who've been doing uh, prachar for the Panth in the past. Now it's the responsibility of the youth to step up and the issues of Punjab are issues of the youth and it's, it's a youth who's going to come and have to help people in Punjab. We can't look anywhere else. So that was the responsibility that he took and he took it very seriously. So he didn't. He he said he had such faith in Guru Granth Sahib Ji Maharaj that uh, no matter what we did, it was always Guru Granth Sahib Ji's asra and their prosa. The biggest thing was none of this vihir was like planned months ahead. It was planned as you go. If we had two three villages planned the first day we started, and everything else was just happening on its own, and you saw the shakti, the power of Guru Maharaj Ji working, and. Uh, that was really inspiring. And then his way of uh, communicating and uh, sharing the message of Guru Sikhi, and especially how he just, he only took, uh, he only started keeping his case 15 months ago. And then mm -hmm. after that, when he came into Punjab, it hasn't been six months since he took Amrit. But during that short period of time, because he has so much passion and so much love for Sikhi, he was able to spread it. And he he truly gave up his own uh, livelihood, his own desires and pleasures of the world to help come to Punjab and help the people, the future generations of Punjab and the youth was connecting to the message of Sikhi and the way he was sharing it with them. That is um, so incredible. Honestly, the, the, the part of the youth really is so true and so important that the youth have such, we have so much um, capability and we should use it. it it is it is truly our responsibility to to take ownership um and and do and do the right thing now so uh, thank you so much for for sharing 
what you could in this time with me. I'm sure there's so much more to still learn. Um, and, and I will definitely be following through your Instagram um, and, and hopefully speaking more with you about, about what is happening on the grounds and everything you've learned. Um, and just in this short time, I can honestly say I feel um, so much of the energy that that you got, you carry with you that that still is with you from the time that you were in Punjab. Um, well, thank you, uh, Gurgirat Singh, for for joining me for speaking with me. Um, it was truly an amazing conversation. So so thank you, and I, I look forward to speaking more soon. Thank you for having me on. It was it's always nice to see the work that Roll Sick Organization is doing, and I'm a big fan of it. So it's always nice to work with you guys. Thank you so much, Gurgirat Singh. And on that note, um, we will be uh, ending the conversation here, but I hope to continue it more later. Um, Vahe Guru Jika Khalsa. Vahe Guru Jika Khalsa.